Hey everybody, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Brad. And this is not about us. Hey, thank you everybody for listening in today. I really hope you're being blessed by this. Brad, I'm going to ask you to kick things right off with a prayer, if you could. Sure can. Yahweh, our creator, the creating God, the mighty one, the almighty, we invite you in as our honored guest. I haven't said it in a while, so let's say it again. Let's reaffirm it. So be it. Yes. We just want to be the tool, the mic. We ask for you to be the author. Amen to that. So be it. So be it. Yahweh. Didn't interrupt. You keep going. No, that's good. Yahweh God, we give you honor and praise, and we truly, truly want to honor you here today. Yes. Help us do that. Help us see the connections. Help us see the truth. The truth that you want us to see. Anything else? Let our eyes be blind to it. Yahweh, you're welcome here. That's right. We want you to be our honored guest. Amen. All right. So this is going to be another general Bible study uh, talking on a topic that does not exclusively belong in the realm of Genesis. Uh, It's... It seems small, and and it really is uh, compared to a lot of other things, but I thought it was important to discuss, and we're going to discuss names uh, and their importance for just a little bit here. Now, generally speaking, it's not a big deal. Uh, Hebrew names are transliterated into English, and it's just to make them more palatable in the English language. Shimon Kepha becomes Simon Peter. Madit Yahu becomes Matthew. There's no problem with this. Transliterated words just simply mean we tried to approximate the original sound of the word as best we could in our language. I'm only pointing it out because, for one of the reasons, is because Hebrew names, as they come up, are going to sound a little strange, a little different. I'm going to have to translate or transliterate what they really are. In the last Genesis study, I brought up the the, the name Moshe, is actually Moses. Uh, That's the way we would call it. So there might be some words, some names that come up that you don't understand that we'll have to explain. But transliterated words keep the same meaning as the original. Yeshua. We transliterated into Jesus. And then in the 1600s, when the English language came up with the, the hard letter J, we changed that to Jesus. So Jesus is just a transliteration of Yeshua, his Hebrew name, into uh, a sound that tries to approximate the original name but using the grammatic rules of English. Transliterated words are not wrong. Uh, I've met some people who are upset by the changes that we make in English and they want us to go back to the original Hebrew. I, I don't care. Uh, I, I'm not one for that. A transliterated word is, is just simply meant for you and your language to better handle the word according to your grammatic rules. In, in Japanese, they cannot say my name, Scott. I mean, a Japanese person can mouth successfully the word Scott and say it, but it doesn't fit with the rules of their language or the grammar of their language. Su, ko, ta. 
That is the closest you can get in the Japanese language to my name, Sukota. Now, when it's said fluently and, and smoothly, uh, it comes out sounding close to Scott, Skota. But that's the closest they can get because of the limitations of their rules, their alphabet, their grammar. It's the same in English. It's the same in every language. But there are a few times when the change can matter for one reason or another. And those are the ones I want to get into right now. Shaul is what we have transliterated into Saul. Now, this is the name of the first king of Israel. It is also the name of the person we know of as the Apostle Paul. Now, the Bible talks about Saul attacking the Christians, having an experience with Jesus, and suddenly he's known as Paul. Now, why did this happen? Because literally, he didn't change his name. Uh, It appears that his name suddenly becomes Paul. The most likely explanation is because uh, that's what the Greeks called him. And most of the texts that we've recovered are Greek. We do not have the original Hebrew texts in our possession. As far as we know, they've all been destroyed. Uh, most people believe that there were original Hebrew texts. Uh, some people think that the New Testament was originally written in Greek, uh, at least most of it. Uh, this does not appear to be the case upon closer examination. That's for another study, possibly. But right now... It is worth noting that um, they recently uh, did find a Hebrew Matthew. Oh, I did not know that. Yep, it's uh, Michael Rood. Uh, this is a person we might get into um, a discussion about at some point. Definitely going to get into it. Just <laughs> haven't got into him yet. Uh, but uh, I, I follow his uh, his YouTube page, and that left me that led me to... Nehemiah Gordon, who has been trying to uh, study the Hebrew Matthew that was discovered, um, and they actually they do believe that there are actually multiple versions of it out there. So it's something interesting, something to think about. Oh, good! I'm glad to hear that. Uh, briefly, there are there are other reasons why they believe that Hebrew came first, uh, as opposed to the the way of thinking that the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, some of them being there are certain phrases in the text that just don't make sense if it was written in Greek, uh, such as uh, Passover, a celebration of the Jews, was nigh. The author of this text would not have written that. He's writing to a Jewish audience who wouldn't have needed that explanation. It would be like me telling all of you listening in the United States of America, Thanksgiving which is a celebration Americans will uh, honor on the fourth Thursday of every November, was coming up. No, you wouldn't need that explanation. You live it every, every year. You understand what Thanksgiving is. Again, those of you living in the United States of America. Um, and, and, and similarly, those of you in other countries, you have your holidays, you have things that just happen that you wouldn't need an explanation for if talking to people who live this and understand it. This is an indication that this text comes from a Greek translator trying to allow his audience to better understand what's going on. But I didn't want to get into that now. Uh, that's thanks Jeez, Brad, what do you explain? No, I'm. I am really I'm good at getting us you. off track. No, no, that was awesome. Thank you for that uh, insight on Matthew. 
But what we understand, uh, because we're looking at the Greek version, it's probable that the Greeks, which, which kind of named him this because of his personality, because of the way they understood him, uh, he became Paul in the text because of that. But it's also possible that this is an intentional plan at some point in church history to separate Jew from Roman Catholic and to create a psychological disconnect to claim that God had moved on from the Jews and that now God had done away with them, he doesn't like them anymore, he wanted to discard them, and God had moved his spirit and his authority onto the Roman Catholics, and they were the rulers of all Christian kingdom, uh, that type of thing. Now, I don't believe that it was intentional. Uh, I can't prove any of this. This is just me studying history, studying what happened. I believe that it just sort of happened in the texts that it became Paul, and they kind of jumped on this and, and used it psychologically to their benefit. But we have to understand, in the original texts, Shaul never changed his name. He was Shaul when he was born. He was Shaul when he died. When we hear of the Apostle Paul and we see this change, we have to understand psychologically there was no change. Uh, so there's a little, there are little things like that in the names that actually matter. Another one is uh, the word Christos. Uh, the Greeks didn't really have a word that translated well for Messiah. Uh, they didn't have a concept for it, really. So when we see Jesus, Yeshua, as the Messiah, they renamed him Jesus Christ because it was the closest they could come. It wasn't a malicious intent to alter it. And Christos, which, mean, which is where we get Christ, uh, is not a, an evil thing. They were trying to alter who he was. It was just the closest they could come. So this is something we have to understand, too. Um, Christos is accurate. Christos means enlightened one. And Jesus is an enlightened one. Wouldn't you agree, Brad? Absolutely. The most enlightened. Yeah. But the problem is that Christos is not an exclusive term. We think of Jesus Christ being the only Christ, the only, the only, well, the Greeks didn't have that feeling about it. Christos, an enlightened one, was anybody who was enlightened. So in their eyes, Zeus was Christos. Um, any human being who had an enlightened concept of something was a Christos. Enlightened one referred to anybody. So it's not an exclusive term to Jesus. Messiah, however, is. He's the only Messiah. He's the only Savior of mankind. And so that's why I tend to refer to him personally as Yeshua the Messiah instead of Jesus Christ. However, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not out there trying to get everyone on earth to stop calling him Jesus Christ. No, Christ is an accurate name. He is an enlightened one. I just appreciate the fact that Messiah is exclusive to him and no one else. I think of it too that I... I'm constantly thinking of new titles to give to God, to give to Jesus, things that I discover as I go along. And so I find myself yeah. going back and forth between the names. Um, but in my book, 
every single one of them gives them honor for something. Um, you know, they're my my guardian, they're my father, they're my uh, counselor, they're my companion, they're my friend, they're my discipliner, they're my you know encourager. They're, yes. I, I, all of these just give testament to who they are and how wonderful they are. So the one that's really important, though, that I want to cover here is we've brought it up before and we use it often. It's on, it's on our webpage. It, we cover it all the time. It's the name Yahweh. This has become something special to me. Now, this is the name of God. It appears in the original Hebrew text of the Bible close to 7,000 times. So why don't we see it in our versions? Well, the blame is split up in a couple of different places. Exodus 27, uh, in the Hebraic Roots version, the first part of it says, You shall not take the name of Yahweh, your Elohim, in vain. So fearing that the name Yahweh would be spoken too often and too callously by the common people, religious leaders created a rule that forbade saying the name Yahweh except for specific rituals that required it to be said by God. Now, we have to understand Religious leaders made this rule. God never told them to do this. They thought, I personally believe, again, this is just me in my gut. I, I don't know whether it was an intentional thing to manipulate. I, I personally feel in their hearts it was an honest attempt to do the right thing, but it was still disobedient. God told them, do not Add to or subtract from my word. Uh, And they did. They added to by creating this commandment outside of the commandments of God. So it is a wrong thing. And, And as such, we need to ignore it. But then what happened is the King James Version translators, out of respect for this Jewish tradition, Every time they came across the word Yahweh in the Hebrew text, they changed it to Lord. Now, to signify that they were making this change and to highlight that the original word should have been Yahweh, they made the word Lord all caps. So in the King James Version, you will see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So, by doing this, they didn't use the name out of respect for this tradition, but they marked the place where the name should have been. So, Exodus 27, in the first part, the first part of it in the New King James Version says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This changes the meaning of this. It changes the interpretation of this verse. I grew up thinking Lord and God were his name. Lord is not a name. It's a title of nobility. And that used to bug me as a kid. I don't know if it affected you the same way, Brad, but I thought Jesus had a name. Why didn't Father God have a name? No, I absolutely agree. Um, I remember I was so excited, so excited the day that I figured out he had a name. Me too, and it was actually it was actually you that that explained it to me, um, and I went and researched it myself, and I was I couldn't believe it. I've been blinded, 
Mm-hmm. There are so many passages in Scripture that talk about giving honor to His name. Yes. How are we supposed to give Him honor to His name if we didn't know what it was? We had no idea exactly. I was taught that Lord and God were, it was just a part of God's nature to be mysterious and aloof. Uh, that never sat right with me. I mean, my name isn't human being. <laughs> it's an accurate description of who I am, but it's not my name. Right? Yeah. Hey, human, how's it going? <laughs> well, you know, and God is actually could also be his work title, you mm-hmm. know, so I could call you, hey, check-in guy, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> like, exactly, you know, so no, and and if you're going to, if you're going to have intimacy, if you're going to chase and have a relationship with God, well, then you should know his name. Oh, absolutely. You and know? that, that goes, that gets into what, I, where I'm heading with this, um, so, well, first of all, I do want to mention this causes a minor problem, making people think that comments like, oh my God, is taking his name in vain. When they're, first of all, they're not actually saying his name at all. Uh, but beyond that, again, we're going to get back to this idea that these are all physical examples of spiritual truths and find out what is taking his name in vain actually even mean to us does it mean that saying oh jesus christ is a horrible thing and i i apologize to many of you because i did not swear right there and i did not break the commandment but many of you i'm assuming instantly reacted with horror and revulsion at the fact that i even said that as an example not even meaning it i didn't take his name in vain What is this verse actually telling us spiritually? When a bride takes her husband's name, what does that mean? Brad, you recently got married to my niece, Caitlin Marshall. What is her name now? It's Caitlin Allen. Why did that happen? To give honor to our marriage and to me. She's connecting with you. You, The two were becoming one. Correct. And that's what it signifies. She took your name to say, I want to be with you forever. And you want to be with her forever. Correct. This is what marriage is. When the bride takes the husband's name, if she takes it in vain, that means it's not a real marriage. For someone to call themselves a Christian but not care about him What does that say about the relationship? So if a woman says, I want to take your name, I want to be married to you, but she goes after you're married and she sleeps around with other people, she never spends any time with you, she runs around doing whatever she wants, not connecting with you emotionally or any way, she's just using your money, your fame, whatever it is, she's just just trying to connect to get something good out of you so she can still just go live her own life however she pleases, that is taking your name in vain. And that's what we do so often as Christians by seeking after the gifts we can get from God but not chasing a relationship at all but chasing after the lusts of this flesh and the lusts of the earth. That's what that verse means. Don't take his name in vain. Don't Say you're his, claim you're married to him, and then live your life for your own selfish purposes. That's what this verse is talking about, and that's what they didn't understand. 
Now, as we've said before, it was they couldn't have understand it. They didn't have the Holy Spirit at the time. These are physical examples that they were living at the time of spiritual realities that we can now comprehend because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. But as Brad alluded to before, those were all minor problems. This is intended to be a relationship. God, we love you. We want to be with you. We want to just experience you intimately. But what we've done is we've turned it into religion. Okay, God, I've got a series of rules and regulations. I will follow them and abide by them. Please don't hurt me. That's what it's become. We took a personal, intimate Yahweh and turned him into an impersonal, generic it and called him Lord. We almost sound like we're abuse victims. Do this, do this, do that, or uh, that. You know, that's not that a marriage. That is so apt. And you know what? That right there is why I think a lot of the world sees the church as something to be avoided. I, guys, we don't have life out there for the most part. Individuals do. There are there are several people. Many people. Thank God for you. You're shining his light. You're being his, his, his light. You're being the moon to his sun, reflecting his light in the darkness. Thank God for you, who, those of you who are trying. But how many of us, we just call ourselves Christian. We have no idea what it means. We're living for ourselves. And we're trying to tell the world that this whole thing is actually worthless by what we're revealing to them. Anyway, let me go on. This whole thing takes on even more weight with Jeremiah 12, 16 through 17, which says in the King James Version, and it shall come to pass if they, my people, diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name, the Lord liveth, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, Then shall they be built in the midst of my people. But if they will not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, saith the Lord. So this interpretation we get in English, in the King James Version, is that God is upset that we are teaching his people to swear by a false god, Baal, instead of swearing by his name, the Lord. Jeremiah 12, 16, 17. Hebraic Roots Version. And let me say, this: things like this are one of the main reasons why I do use the Hebraic Version, Hebraic Roots Version. It's not perfect, but it does help in a lot of ways such as this. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as Yahweh lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then shall they be built up in the midst of my people. But if they will not hearken, then I will pluck up that nation, plucking up and destroying it, says Yahweh. By adding the name of Yahweh here, the correct name, the way it was originally written, it adds the correct personalization of God. But... To properly understand what's being said here, we also have to properly define the name Baal. Now, the original Hebrew language, Baal, means owner, 
master, husband. It also means Lord. The word Baal here is Strong's Concordance number 1168, meaning Lord. Strong's number 1167 is Baal, the Phoenician deity. Easton's 1897 Bible Dictionary says this about Baal, quote, the name appropriated to the principal male god of the Phoenicians, unquote. So it was appropriated. It became the name of the Phoenicians' primary god, but what word was it appropriated from? Well, what happened was this. It was a natural evolution of language that's still going on today. The word describing something became the name that it was known by. Today, we think of Baal as a specific entity for this reason. But when you realize all Baal means is just a generic description, Lord, Jeremiah 12, 16 through 17 takes on a new meaning. Now, let's replace that word for Lord and read it again. And it shall come to pass, if they will diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as Yahweh lives, even as they taught my people to swear by the generic title Lord, then shall they be built up in the midst of my people. But if they will not hearken, then I will pluck up that nation, plucking up and destroying it, says Yahweh. Doesn't that understanding change the whole meaning of this from the original King James Version? Absolutely. Wow. So what we have here is when you understand, when you dig deeper, when you find out what the names really are, that Yahweh should be replacing Lord. Lord is not supposed to be there. It's supposed to say Yahweh. And Baal, it is correct, but we have a false meaning of it in this situation as the name of a specific false god when it's actually not a name it's just the word lord we flipped them completely we took yahweh and made it generic we took the generic and gave it a name and we've changed the meaning of this so now this what it's really saying is that we need to stop teaching people to to call upon the lord We need to start teaching them, diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as Yahweh lives, even as they falsely taught my people that upset me to swear by the generic title Lord. Yes, Baal came to be a proper name for a Phoenician god, as well as a reference to other false gods. But when we understand what that word really means, we see the correct picture God's trying to tell us that he wants us to know him intimately. Our worship right now impersonalizes him. What is religion and not relationship? There are a lot of people in the church today that are just Baal worshipers. Yeah, they're worshiping the Lord, and they might even believe they're worshiping the one true Lord. But are they worshiping the real God? Are they worshiping Yahweh? Or are they worshiping a picture fabricated of their own design and they're just calling him Lord? Now, oh, sorry, did you have something, Brad? 
No, I was just thinking that I was guilty of this too, uh, creating a idol of God in my head, my Lord that I used to worship um, before I was chasing, and it just it kind it kind of breaks my heart that so many people are, are being deceived and they're yeah they're not chasing after the the relationship with the true Yahweh. And that I want to emphasize that too. What Brad said it breaks our hearts. We do not want to appear like we're attacking people. What we want to appear as, what's in our hearts, is we're attacking the deception that is binding people. We want people to be free. We want to love people by sharing these things. This, just the understanding of this, got me seeking who God really was in the first place because it got me thinking, are there a lot of people who claim that they're Christians, who call themselves worshipers of the one true God, but they don't know who that God is. And what they're actually worshiping is something wrong, but has taken on the name of the one true God. Now, does this mean that Lord, God, Christ are wrong terms and we should avoid saying them? No, not at all. They're very good terms. We just have to understand they're not names. They're titles. There are many songs sung in church today that can be sung by anybody of any religion and mean the same thing for them. I was thinking the other day, uh, I, I, was, I don't have them listed here, I should have, uh, but I was thinking of songs just coming to the top of my head. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I, the whole time, uh, I'm sitting there thinking, we never say his name. And that whole thing, we think we do. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. They're saying, Lord, that's such a wonderful name, Lord. But no, you're really just saying, Lord, how majestic, Lord, the title, God, we're, we're referring to him. Lord, how majestic is your name? We could rightly say to that, okay, what is your name? His name is never spoken in that song. How many songs do we have like that? that could actually be sung by a Buddhist, by a Muslim, by an atheist, without changing the words, and they just apply it to their Lord or their God. An atheist would be himself. There's truth that there is a great deception, and uh, you know we have the great deceiver trying to deceive us, and one of his ultimate goals is to have us worship any other God but the true God. He don't care. Worship yourself, worship yes. a Buddhist god, a Muslim god. It, he doesn't care. He just doesn't want you to worship the one true God. So, I mean, I can't help but see that this is a great deception. Mm-hmm. This is probably a powerful tool that he uses against Christians. So I guess in conclusion, I just the reason this is so important to me is because it starts to point out not, not just the simple fact that this individual incidence where we get, we're getting these names wrong— adds a level of intimacy that should hopefully enhance your spiritual connection, your your love, your passion. It, it adds a, a personal nature to him that we lost before in an impersonal Lord. Um, but more than that, it points out the fact that hopefully you can start to see we've got a lot more wrong. 
And when you start to truly dig deeper and truly go after who he is, and if your heart is open to the truth and not just locked up in, in saying, nope, this is the way I've always believed it. This is what my daddy taught me. This is what my mom taught me. This is what my pastor taught me. And I'm going to stay this. Don't bother me with evidence. Well, then you're going to be locked in religion all your life. And I truly pity you if you're in that place because the truth is so much more freeing and so much more wonderful. I remember when I discovered that Yahweh was the name I only had newer translations um, than the NIV, uh, which I now refer to as the nearly inspired version, <laughs> nearly, um, the King James Version. I went and I read some passages, and I just, when I saw the word Lord, I just started using his name. And it just amazed me how many passages I found that really mean so much more and make it so much easier to have some intimacy. So I would just challenge you, mm-hmm. if you don't have a Hebraic Roots version, you can't find one, go to your current Bible version and just when you see the word Lord, give it a try. Read it out loud. Say Yahweh. Say his name. By the way, those of you who are reading other versions... I am not trying to tell you, throw that Bible away, it's hideous. No, no. God is awesome, and God is so special, and his word, like I said, on a a superficial level, can lead you to his salvation and grace. This is the awesomeness of God. The reason I point these out is because we are going deeper, and we're going after deeper truths of God uh, what you have in in your Bibles is is awesome, and you can go deeper in them right now. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I actually I have many translations, and when I'm doing my studies, I usually have them all open, and yes. I, I compare, you know, and I see well, what can I what can I get from this? If uh, you know, I I'm a big fan of the Passion Translation because it, I think it's just one big love letter, you right? Know? And in fact, as we mentioned in a previous podcast, the Hebrew word nefesh, it can mean soul, it can mean life, it can mean self. And so in the Hebrew, in the Hebraic roots version, they, instead of trying to limit it to one of those, they just use the word nefesh and let you understand it has all of these meanings wrapped into one. Well, like the King James version in a particular verse might have decided, well, the word soul is best used here. The NIV might have said, well, I read that, the word life is best used here, and so on and so forth. So by reading all of them, it's not that each one is incorrect, it's that each one has a piece. Uh, they decided that it should be translated this way for a specific reason, and by reading many of them, you are getting a more complete, deeper version. Um, your specific version is not wrong, um, it's just we're going deeper, and that might be Correct in one sense, but we're going after greater than that. Not, I was going to say every sense, but I'm not that. There's no (laughs) way I'm going to come up with every sense. I'm not God. We're just going to come up with more than just the one. Absolutely. I have uh, found that a word change can mean so much more. Um, In the first Revelation one, I talked about 
that it's mentioned as servant, but in some versions it's slave. And I got that got me thinking. Mm-hmm. And then I realized after doing a little more thought about it, I want to be a slave to Christ, right. not just a servant of Christ. Yeah. And some there are things like that too. We're just in English, the evolution of language. You know, uh, back when they first wrote the King James Version, servant, slave, they they were possibly very synonymous. And the people who wrote that book, servant meant slave to them. I mean, it it carried exactly the same weight. Now and today, uh, the year twenty twenty, we think of servant. In, in a far different way than we think of the word slave as being much harsher and restrictive. And, and back in the day, they, they thought of them equally. Uh, we, we have a lot of words like that in the English language that have simply changed over time. Absolutely. Well, anyway, unless you have anything, Brad, I don't want to interrupt. If you have something else you want to throw in, I say we call it quits right there. Again, uh, this wasn't going to be... Uh, too long. I, I just thought that was important to get the meaning of those names out there for you guys and to start challenging yourselves. Um, let's stop looking for religion. Let's start looking for relationship. Let's go into who who does God say he is, not who does man say he is. And let's find the Yahweh of the Bible. Beautiful. And as always, this has been Scott. And this has been Brad, and this has been Not About Us.